you mind if I just freeform it a little bit? Do what you want. All right. I'm going to freestyle. Okay. And <laughs> Matt on the mic. <laughs> just don't rap. Oh, come on. That's what I was about to do. Yeah. As long as you don't rap, we can do whatever you want. <laughs> Fine. Audio astronauts. Two dudes pondering the depths of modern recording. I've been uh, following your your social media stuff, and you've been pretty active lately. I mean, I, you're just posting about the cool stuff that you're doing. But um, I saw you picked up a piano recently, and uh, and um, got a buddy to come over and help you like disassemble the whole thing. And tell me about that. How did that come about? Yeah. Um, well, I you know I had this old piano that um was a part of uh brad the drummer in quiet hounds's family or his wife's family and so that's the one i had kind of been given oh didn't you didn't you say that that was like the sound of characteristics of living things the quiet yes, Hounds record absolutely yeah. It, yeah. We, it was it was featured heavily on that record like the song thieves is real driven by oh, yeah. that yeah yeah, yeah and sure. um even though I recorded it in that song specifically, I recorded it over the top only and not from behind. <laughs> and I remember you, you, I remember you asking me how I recorded it. <laughs> I, I just asked a nice question. Well, it um, wasn't a criticism. And that piano sounded pretty decent mic'd from the back, but it was still really noisy. It was from the thirties. It was like a kind of a student model and it just, it wasn't, it just wasn't holding up well. So I basically decided that I was going to get an upgrade since I actually have a studio now that is permanent. And, um, yeah, moving piano sucks. <laughs> it does suck. It was really, it was tough to move that one. And, um, but I've been doing a lot of sessions with pian like pianists, you know, like actually hiring players. And when you hire players, you got to have your piano in tune. Well, tell, and, tell me about this guy that, that you hooked up with. That, yeah. So didn't he, didn't he used to play with dead Confederate? Yeah, his name's John Watkins. He, he John Watkins. Yeah, he played I'm, organ. I met him a long time ago. Yeah, he played organ for Dead Confederate, and um, he plays in a couple of bands in Athens now. I think. Oh, okay. But, um, but he also, you know, tunes pianos and stuff, uh, kind of like a, as a side gig, and or it might be his main gig. I'm not sure. But um, well, you know, it's hard to make a living on playing music, as you well know. Yeah. But, but he, um, you know, he and I have been working together for a few months and just kind of building a relationship. And I, he was coming over to tune it. And, and every time we do a session, it was kind of a little bit out. Yeah. And so I, I just said to him, Hey, if you're ever, you know, browsing, you know, Facebook marketplace or Craigslist or something, and you see a piano that you think would be really good. Oh, so shoot he, it to me. He eyed it for you too. Yeah. Well, he had sent me, it. he had sent me a few, and they were, they varied in prices. One, you know, from $50 up to 500 and something. Yeah. And, um, and also were all over the place in terms of location. And mm -hmm. I had tried yeah. to get, tried to get one earlier. It sold too fast. And then this one came along and it was like 20 minutes down the road. It was in, oh, it yeah. was in Comer, Georgia, which is like 20 minutes from, from me. And, um, gotcha. and it looked great and it's a Yamaha and, um, 
Looks so, great. Yeah, it's it's really stellar. So he agreed to go over there and just check it out. You know, he really is very knowledgeable about just the inner workings of of pianos. You know how to work on them. What's what could be wrong with them? Stuff that the I pictures, just wouldn't know. The pictures look kind of scary. Like I, I don't know. I I would be afraid to like take my car apart like that. Yeah. Well, it was really pretty simple. I actually was afraid, but he was like, "No, it's no big deal." I just you know, we basically just pulled out all of the hammer, um, the the hammers, and, uh -huh. and they're they're kind of on one big chassis, I guess. And right. so you you basically just unscrew these like handles. And you can pull okay. the whole piece out. So once we got all, it, all eighty-eight keys just went came yep. out like that. The it's hammers, the, it's yeah, the hammers, the hammers, yeah, yeah. And uh, so we pulled that out and cleaned it. And you know, when we picked this thing up, the lady that um, I bought it from, she thought it was like an '80s or a '90s piano, and I was like, okay, that's cool. And then I got it home, started looking at like the build because it was a Japanese build. Found mm -hmm. the serial number. Looked it up and it, it's from 1973, which wow. is, you know, my, in one of my posts, I'd said like how amazing that year is for rock and roll. You had Dark Side of the Moon, you had Goodbye oh, right. Yellow Brick Road. There's just so many, uh, like Band on the Run, there was just so many records that came out in 73. I'm, I'm personally a fan of 1971, but that's only for personal reasons. <laughs> Well, you know, there's no, a but... lot there's a lot of good years in the late 60s <laughs> and early 70s, but 73 for me specifically, just even like Dark Side is probably my favorite record of all time. Which is funny cuz I think of I mean, somehow in my brain Dark Side is a 60s record, a late 60s record, but it's not. No, it was it was actually after Pink Floyd got their shit together, Sid Barrett was long out of the band. They had right. worked out all of their like jam instrumental record stuff <laughs> and Roger Waters really kind of started to write lyrics that, you know, were in probably some of the most amazing lyrics of our time. Mm -hmm. And um so anyway, all this to say that this piano is from 1973. I've we've cleaned it up really well. Uh John has put a the initial tune on it and it's sounding amazing and it's going to record really well. It sounds so good in the room here. Well, the reason the reason I'm so curious about this is when I was a kid, my dad was a musician, uh not a, you know, for a living, but he grew up in the church and loved to sing and he uh, played piano and stuff. And so he really, you know, and we were kind of super poor when I was a kid uh, before he went to med school and stuff. And so anyway, he always wanted to have a piano in the house. And so he went to Salvation Army and he bought a piano for, I think it was $50. And in the, you know, late seventies, early eighties, that was a bunch of money for us. And he was like, I am going to, but it was a fixer. So he's like, I'm going to fix this piano up. And so he spent every weekend for like a, nearly a year replacing hammer by hammer, you know, wow. this stuff. And and eventually he was just like, I can't. <laughs> I can't spend every weekend doing this. It's worth it to me just to hunker down and take a loan out and get, you know, because they'll finance pianos at places. And he was like, you know. Uh, I'm a grown ass man and I'm going to do this for, you know, he gets some things like that in his head. And, and so like having a good piano around the house, you know, conversely, when he did that, then he would play. And then it was really instrumental to me, no pun intended to see him play. And then I got interested in it and then I wanted to play. And then I, you know, taught myself piano and a little bit, he taught me a little bit. So anyway, so seeing you do that is, you know, 
you know, reminiscent of some good childhood memories for me. Yeah. It's, you know, getting this piano has been like a really fun experience. Like the whole getting a piano sometimes is daunting because it's like, it's heavy. You've got to load it up. There's being an old secondhand thing. Um, you know, you've got to make sure it's going to work and it's going to function for the studio. But, you know, I kind of went into this, like I'm going into a lot of things these days where I, I just didn't attach to the negative kind of thought processes around the obstacles and just went into it very just like, Hey, this is on the table. I'm going to do what I got to do to get it. And it went really smooth. And, um, John, the guy that, that helped me get it and is tuning it and actually is playing on a lot of sessions with me. He was so, he was so excited about it and so happy. And I was so excited about it. And, you know, it was, it's been a really fun experience and kind of an experience that, you know, as you're talking about with your dad, like I didn't, I didn't have a piano growing up. I didn't learn to play piano. Mm-hmm. I still don't really know how to p- play piano. I'm, you know, I kind of doink around on it and I can play chords, you know, to kind of get, I can do little organ pads and stuff on stuff that I'm making, sure. but not like, I, I can't play it. You know what I'm saying? Like, and I'm not, I'm not really that either. I, I was very impressed. My dad could actually sight read music and that's like, or sight read piano music, which of uh-huh. course is two hands. So you're having to read two staves at the same time. So I just crazy. I can't yeah. do that. And that's kind of part of the fun too, is like, you know, actually getting players over here that can really play and, you know, kind of just enjoying being in that role of someone that's trying to capture another musician. It's, it's, it's something that I've struggled with because I want to do everything, you know, it's like the control (laughs) freak side. It's like, well, I'll just, I'll play it all, but I can't actually play piano in a way that is desirable for me to listen to or record. So Uh, it forces, there's the rub right there. Yeah. It forces this interaction of getting a player that's, you know, really good. Um, and that's actually kind of exciting. It's like, okay, well, I'm actually truly in the engineer slash producer role. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you got to get something out of somebody else that is compelling. And that's actually, it's actually harder to do than just doing it yourself. You know, really, it takes some time and relationship building to get to where you can c- communicate with a musician. I mean, that's, that's why I would tell anybody that, you know, there's some certain things that you cannot learn in, in school about how to be a producer engineer. Like, you know, psychology is a large, large part of the job. Yeah. Even your own psychology I've found for me, it's like, you know, (laughs) good point. Understanding how to get something from uh, someone else, you know, you have to kind of work backwards. You have to figure out what it is that you're doing that you like, that you want to try to pull out of someone else. And then, you know, beyond that, try to figure out something that somebody else is doing that you're incapable of doing and, and get the best version of that out of them. So uh, it, it is actually kind of, it's kind of a fun experience to do that. And I'm fortunate that I've, you know, I've got at this point the work to where I can hire these people to yeah. come in and play on records. You know, it's not a play, a position I've been in, you know, very much prior to the last year or so. And you and, know what I think really interesting content would be is to, you know, when we, uh, put cameras up in your studio and get that, record that interaction because there's a whole different language, I'm sure, when you're trying to get somebody to do something, you know, you have to, you know, do it like, and I want to hear this and the second thing and, and get the turnaround like this. Yeah. And, you know, it's, you know, it's not, for me, it's not, 
it's not quite that uh, exciting in terms of like the the live interaction. Okay, I feel fine. like, you know, I feel That's like I, my style. <laughs> I do a lot of um, kind of prep work, um, trying to talk to somebody about the song, you know, what, what they're working from. So if you give them a demo, a scratch vocal or a, mm-hmm. some arrangement is trying to do that prep work in advance to, to get on the same page so that they're kind of going in the direction that you're trying to go. And then because do you, do you reference other people's music? Do you, um, mm, you know, cause I, sometimes. I, a lot of times you come in like, Hey, I want this to sound like, well, the Beatles, Pink Floyd. <laughs> no, I don't know. But yes, you know, I, I do that to a degree, but I'm, you know, I mean, we've you, talked I mean the, the client, like does Justin come in and say, Hey, I want this, this song, what I'm kind of hearing in my head is, you know, Lumineers and you're like, get out. Um, <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> you know, no, that, I mean, occasionally there are references from the artist, but I think with most of my clients specifically, um, they all kind of know me and have, you know, have worked with me for a while. And and even mm. if I'm working with someone new, I kind of upfront let them know, like, I, that's not really how I approach working on music. Um, I approach it from a little bit more of a blank slate and try to go in without a bunch of, references in mind because so I think, how do you so that's an interesting question though then how do you find that common ground well usually the, you you do something that makes everybody smile <laughs> i mean honestly that's that's the truth it's you try to do something that gets people excited every step of the way so it starts with me and we've talked about this before i believe but like when we had our pre-production episode yeah, You know, working out a, an arrangement on a song, if somebody brings a song and I feel like it needs some help in maybe it needs some chords to voice some of the changes differently or the melody needs to, you know, move up a little bit to create some dynamics in a pre-chorus or something like that, mm-hmm. taking an approach in that arena first, to- solely focused there to get the artist excited about that direction. And once once you get that to click then they're mm-hmm. going to be a lot more excited about where it goes from there. And so I find that that's kind of how I work as I go is each step is trying to make everybody feel good about what's happening, including myself, you know, and sometimes you do a bunch of work and you sit back and you go, that's shit. It just doesn't, it's not doing anything. <laughs> you know, I don't ever sit back and go, Oh, well that doesn't sound like the Beatles. So it's not, how's, how's that really helpful? It's not, you know? So I think that, I think that if you can make something that's getting the artists excited, the musicians you're working with excited, even if there are some references here or there, don't hone in on those references. Hone in more on the feeling of the the production you're making. I mean, I think that that's that's kind of how I build communication with people. Is is you know? Do you think that's one of the ways that you can keep uh, music from not sounding like other? things is not by by not bringing those references in and you know because um i was playing guitar with my one of my buddies turned 60 this last weekend and so we went up to the the mountains for a night and stayed in a cabin and he's a guitar player but you know he's a professor so he doesn't play on a regular basis but um and uh we were sitting around the the campfire and so i decided you know, and we were trying, he's, you know, he's a little older than me. So some of our references aren't quite the same, you know, we, the Beatles for sure, you know, things like that. So we were trying to find something to play. And I was like, um, 
I just decided to play the chord progression that is that like a million different songs are built around. And so it's uh, one, five, minor six, four, one, that's it. Okay. And so anyway, that's, uh, that's don't stop believing that's, I mean, it just so many songs. And so if you just do something like it, so anyway, so I don't know where I was going with that, but, but finding some like commonality with, with artists and arrangements and things like that. So you start with, um, something that would, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I, think, I lost it. Sorry. I, I th- no, no, no. I think I think you're coming from an angle that that most people come from. I think that that angle is a common denominator. Mm-hmm. Um, I just think that because I'm very uneducated in terms of technical music, um, my approach comes from striking a chord, if you will. Like uh. if if I can create an emotive, evoke an emotion out of something, whether it be a sound or a chord or a change or or something. A new piano? Even that, you know, yeah. I mean, that's part of it. I, I, I would say that, you know, the toys themselves are a part of that equation now because I have a studio facility that I'm, that again is permanent, that I'm trying to create an environment where a bunch of people can come in and find stuff to play. But, but, but prior to that, you know, I didn't have all this stuff necessarily or the way for you to really, you know, you know, what's interesting to me too, is like, so, um, you know, just riffing on your social media stuff recently, you were doing a keyboard part with the, with the Korg and I, I unrelated, you know, I'm a synth nerd. And so unrelated, I saw that that is the second synthesizer that Korg ever put out. And it was right around 73. Well, that that one is actually it's a Univox. Yeah, but it's it's a it came out around the same time. Yeah, yeah. It's I guess it's I guess or it's, it's just like a ripoff or a clone of the original Korg. I mean, it's called a mini Korg. That's the weird thing. It's like a Univox mini Korg. You know, uh, there's a there's a YouTube channel I watch, JHS Pedals. Uh-huh. This guy named um, Josh. Anyway, yeah, Josh. Anyway, and he talks about the history of pedals and and things like that, especially like old '60s era pedals when they first came out. And apparently, there's um, there's a thing where you know it's one original person's design, but then they'll you know they'll put the Gibson name on it, or they'll put the Univox name on it. But it's actually all the guts and everything are still Korg. They just decided to. It's just a business thing. They decided right. to sell it in a different market under a different brand name. Yeah, actually, I, mean, I think I, people do it these days with like projectors and things like that. They still do it with music gear because I have some. Um, ribbon microphones that are electroharmonics, the pedal company. Yeah. But they are the um, Octava. They are identical to the Octava um, ribbon mics. And it's basically what happened was electroharmonics. Basically, I don't know if they buy the the patent or they buy something and then they they basically brand it and sell it, right? I, Mike, Mike Matthews has been doing that since the Big Muff. Like there was a Soviet era Big Muff. And so he had the Russians make it for a little while. And so now that's, it's green and it's coveted. Right. And there are a bunch of different mods of that Big Muff pedal. But uh-huh. he's been doing stuff like that for years. So that doesn't surprise me about the microphone. Yeah, but they haven't really been in the microphone space much. So that's what I was surprised when I saw you had that e, uh, EH mic. 
Yeah. Um, I don't do you think, think of, well, do you, you know, electro harmonics actually just put out a, um, a, a Sovtech amplifier. Oh, it's effectively yeah. in a replica of the original Sovtech, which is a great amplifier, by the way. I love those amps. They, yeah, I mean, sure. they've got a really amazing, uh, dirty sound, like a great distortion. Um, is that, does it have a, a head and a cab or is it a, a combo? I'm trying to remember the, if the what EHX seen is, is a combo or if it's a head and a cab. I think it's a head and a cab. I think I mean, everything that I've seen has been a, a head and a cab. Yeah, because the original Sovtech is like a, I think it's called a MIG-50 or something like yes. that. Yeah. Yes. And I, so I, I think the Electroharmonics is literally identical with their brand. And then they may have yeah. done some like updated things, you know, just to keep it like, I think a lot of modern. these companies now, yeah, are kind of modernizing some of the features. Like they're trying to keep the original tones and and the sounds and be as true to the authenticity of the original piece. But then they're adding these features that just kind of update them for modern times, which I think is a really well, nice, and, you know. I mean, honestly, you know, electronics and uh, technology have moved so far. Like some of the first pedals were actually you know, hand wired PCBs with point to point circuits. Whereas, you know, nowadays they're, uh, you know, and, and there's lots of debates on forums about, you know, mass marketed PC because you can design right. a PCB on your computer and have it manufactured in China and even have the boards loaded with all of the surface mount components and stuff. And not have to solder any individual components. Wow. And some people say that, you know, that's cheating and that doesn't sound, you know, <laughs> somehow they'll hear that it doesn't sound as good. And uh -huh. I, I can't verify whether that's true or not. Yeah. The, the world of but, audio is like, if you want to find the most dog. snobby, the most snobby, like elitist of all time, go to the audio industry. It's like oh, guitars, yeah. pedals, preamps, microphones, Com everything. Yeah. Every it's everything. Yeah. It's, it's quite unbelievable, really. Um, <laughs> well, you know, you just brought up something that I want to segue yeah. to one of the things we were going to talk about today, which is kind of like where we're at with kind of modern modern technology as far as the recording space goes. Mm, um, yeah. I just recently finally took the plunge on doing an upgrade to my computer, which also means that I had to upgrade my interface. And so those things are basically for me going into the modern era and, I, feel like, um, I feel like that's the the bane of every recording engineer's uh, <laughs> existence. Is uh, you know, I, on a Facebook forum with uh, Atlanta audio engineers, and everybody's always on there chattering about, oh, I had to upgrade my OS, I had to do this, and now my all the, my plugins don't work, and blah blah blah. So it's like, when can I? When do I have enough time to set aside that I'm not actively working on projects to be able to mess around with my computer all day or two days in a row, you know? So right. good, good luck, brother. Yeah. Well, and, and currently I'm straddling that line, you know, like right now I'm podcasting on the new computer, but I don't have it fully integrated into my recording setup because of what you just said. I'm trying to take sessions that are in current progress and get them to a space to where I can make a changeover without losing, you know, vital information as far as plug-in automation and all that kind of stuff. Um, and, and that, you know, that, that matters. So I need to either get all the songs to kind of the final mix stage um, or basically not get songs to a place to where plugins and that kind of thing are important to the workflow. 
so that I can actually transition. You just made me think about something that, uh, that I was dealing with in school where we were um, having to share mixes with a professor, but you know, they're not going to have all the plugins that you do. So you had to print the uh, effects and to, to send to them. And um, um, in Pro Tools, I think it's called freezing the track or something. Uh, I'm, I'm new to Pro Tools. So I think, I think in logic you can do like, I think actually maybe in the new Pro Tools, you, bounce you can in do place. This. You can bounce. Yeah, exactly. And I think the Bouncing new places what they do in line. New Pro Tools will allow me to do some of this. I mean, I've dude, I've been, I've been printing old school where it's all you run it down the length of whatever it is you're printing. I've been doing that for years. But, but apparently, you don't have to do that anymore. That right. that offline bouncing is the same exact quality as real time. Right, and and that's you know again in one of the the pros list of this up update for me is. I've been putting, like you said, with these, the forums, it's like, I've been putting off doing this update for years and years and years and years. So my question, my, my question out of the school thing uh, I was trying to bring up is then how do you go back to sessions that you did four or five years ago? If the OS and the version of Pro Tools and, you know, if you were using 32-bit plugins versus 64-bit plugins, they won't, op they won't even function on the new Mac OS. How do you deal with that? I think the simple, the simple yet extremely complicated answer is that you, <laughs> you need to have had the foresight to do what you said, print, okay. um, print, plug in featured tracks, or, you know, a lot of times what we'll do is we'll do stem mixing mm -hmm. or say for, if you, if you're for doing seconds. movie placements or something right. like that, and you need to come back and do some adjustments, instead of having to do the whole mix, you take the stems and you mix those. So you'll have a vocal stem, a drum stem, maybe a percussion stem, guitars, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So if you're good about this kind of stuff, which I'm not and never have been, I've, I've, <laughs> <Me neither. laughs> I've basically gotten my workflow to be more, articulate as time has gone on. So for instance, if you go into records I did last year or the year before, you'll find notes on all the microphones, notes on all the preamps, mm -hmm. the type of gear that was used. You'll find stem mixes and stuff like that, or stems printed for various things. If you go back four or five years, I'm like, I'll open a session and be like, when the hell did I record? I'm like, that's a great sound. How did I get that? No clue. Yeah. No <laughs> clue what I did there. You know, so I think the answer is, is that Pro Tools will open any old session. I can open, so I can open, I opened a session from like the original Pro Tools the other day in 10. Yeah. Um, and you can get all that to work and you can, you could obviously fly your audio tracks in, import audio tracks. You're just going to lose your plugins. Yeah. So really the, the biggest question is, is getting back to a mix. It's that whole thing we talked about last week with recalls, but not being able to recall because you don't either have those plugins or they're incompatible. Or right. Right. Yeah. Exactly. And I think that's kind of one of the so maybe difficulties. That's a, maybe that's a, a mundane yet profound thing is is organizing your sessions when you're ready to finally put them to bed. Maybe that's what you do. Either the stem approach you're talking about or bounce to disc the plugins. Right. Every track, doing every track bounced with yeah. And, and this is a workflow thing. It's like, do you want how much, you know, how dedicated are you to preserving your work? Because that's effectively what yeah. this is, is preserving the work you did. Because if you go back and you're unable to 
keep all those plugins and maybe potential automations that are in some of that stuff, um, you're going to lose it. Or you can do the work then and you can preserve all that and not lose it. So I think, you know, that's, I'm trying to err on the side of doing more work so that I retain all that info. Mm -hmm. Um, having said that, you know, I think depending on where you're at in your career, you know, um, you can kind of gauge what you're really going to get back into. I, it's, it, it may not be realistic to go back into a session that was 10, 10 years old. And Sorry. and mostly unlikely that you're really going to dig into something that old. I mean, I guess, I guess I could be wrong if you're working on massive projects, you know, big bands and stuff like that. They, the record labels want to milk every dollar they can out of the brand. So they go back and they re-release every single record 17 God. ways how many you times know, does a record need to get remastered? The remaster, the remix, the 10th anniversary remaster mix. It's like, okay, I'm good with the original, you know? Right. <laughs> if it was good the first time, there's no need to mess with it. Hey, everybody. Thanks so much for listening. And if you have thoughts or comments on any of the topics we discuss on the show, you can find us at Audio Astronauts on Instagram, and we'd love to hear from you. And we'll talk to you next time. <laughs>